Hi guys. Um, I really feel like God wants to do stuff this morning, so is anyone up for that? Jeez. It's like starting a cold car. Oh, Lord. I felt um, like I must take a risk, so it's always a good place to be in. Um, it's lovely when we take risks with the Lord, because even if you fail, as my friend Julian says, you're just on an escalator of grace, so you just fall going upwards. So... Um, you know, the only person who gets egg on your face, if you, if you take a risk, step out and, like, you know, it's embarrassing, is yourself, which teaches you a bit of humility anyway. So, in this church, we really believe that God speaks today, and um, part of that is just saying, like, Lord, if you're speaking, like, we'll listen. And um, so, I just, I had, a, I had a very quick thought flash across my mind during worship um, I just saw someone who, like, the picture I had was you were, like, pl- putting a plug in or you were doing something in your house, and there was, like, a, a proper, like, shock, like a short or, like, an electrical shock, and you either actually, like, physically got hurt or you just got, like, a, a, a real fright. It happened recently. If it's you, you'll know it's you. <laughs> if, if there's someone like that, I just, um, I just felt like God's got a word for you. And it, um, I'd love to just take a moment to do that. If, if not, totally fine. Don't go home and stick your finger in the plug <laughs> in hope of a prophetic word next week. But um, is that you, Ellie? Did, when, when was it recently? Okay. Cool. Thank you, Lord. Um, wow, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for Ellie. I just, just feel like there's a... Fresh visitation of the Lord f- for you, Ellie. Um, it was so awesome playing on band with you, just um, seeing you worship and play the violin. Um, and I just feel like there's something that God just wanted to highlight in, in this community over your life, that um, there's, a real, there's been a real pursuit of the Father's heart. And um, he, just, he just wanted to honor that in front of everyone this morning, saying, like, in spite of everything that's happened in your life, your one pursuit, your one goal has been to just say, Lord, I long for your heart. And um, I even just, like, witnessed that in worship last week, where, like, your soul desires to minister to the Lord. And um, I really feel like there's a season of favor that's coming for you, where God says, like, it's almost like... Um, the pe- like he's just gonna, he's just putting the pieces of the puzzle together, and um, I just, as I was saying that, I just saw this picture of like, um, of you trying to like connect the dots of like God, like what's happening in my life, where am I going, like nothing makes sense, and then all of a sudden I just saw this alignment. Um, I don't know if you've ever like done one of those like, those like puzzles where you try and like shift all the shapes to get everything, and it's like it's ne- not working, not working, and all of a sudden. It just comes together. And I feel like God says, like, there's been a delay in certain things and certain things you've been asking him for. But I really feel like God says, you're coming into a season where there's going to be alignment. Things are going to come into their right order. And uh, I really feel like God says, like, 
um, you know, don't, don't panic, don't fret, because I've got this. I've got this. And I, and I, just, I just sense, like God says, you're going to look back on the next few months that are coming and say, like, wow, I, I've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. I've seen the goodness of our God. So why don't you guys just stretch your hand to Ellie. We just want to pray. That, Lord, I pray that... Um, I pray that there would just be a season of visitation for Ellie, Lord. We know we don't, we don't live just, Lord, for one experience after the next, Lord, but we live for an encounter with you. And we just sense your holiness. We just sense your awe in this moment. And we pray, Father, that what would take us a lifetime of our own labor and our own efforts, Lord, you would do in a moment of your favor, Lord. And I feel like God says you, you're going to see that, that the truth that you've grown in favor with God and with man. And the favor of God is going to lead you into places that your own abilities, even as incredible as they are, would never get you. So, Lord, we pray for open doors. We pray for abundance. And Lord, we just break off. I just feel like God says he wants to break off any residue of the last season where you've just been, you know, sometimes it's just like we, we've got to dig deep. And it can almost be like we, we carry some of the, the residue of that intensity. And God says, no, this far, no further. Just a season of living in the fullness of who he is and the rest over your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's really cool when God gives prophetic words in a context like this because you get to play a part in what God is saying over someone else's life. So we mustn't take it lightly that it's just, oh, cool, that person's getting a word. But it's actually, no, God's highlighting what he's doing in their life. And we get to, we get to step into that and say, like, I, I've seen, I've heard God's word over your life. I'm going to remember what God said over your life. Someone give me an amen. amen. I'll preach myself happy, guys. Um, Zingi, I, I just also felt like I had a word for you during worship that, um, yeah, that God just says, um, like, you've known his faithfulness, and I know a little bit of your story, like, you've known his faithfulness in your life, um, and it's a testimony, it's like a rock on which you, you build, build your life, and I feel like... Um, the victory that God's given you in walking through some really difficult things and actually just saying, like, no, God is faithful. He'll, he'll come through for me. I know his faithfulness. I feel like there's, there's really going to be um, something that God is going to establish in you to bring other people into that place where you can minister from the place of um, victory. And um, I, I just see, like... Um, you're going to be known as a, a faithful man. Like just not only faithful in terms of like um, being faithful to what you've spoken, but full of faith. And I, and I really just feel in this next season like the, the faithfulness of God is like the bedrock on your life. And he's calling you to some places of taking some great leaps of faith. And I just feel like there's an invitation from God in this next season to take some risks to write down some dreams and to start saying like, what, what if, what if God actually came through for me and these things came true? 
And I just see like the Holy Spirit breathing like a fresh faith where your life wouldn't only be defined by um, your own abilities and, and, and like your own resources. But I just feel like, I just see like there's a, I just saw like this trap door open your he- uh, over your head and like the resources of heaven are at your disposal. And I, and I, I feel like God says it's time to be- pray some big prayers. It's time to dream some dreams, not only for the next few months, but the next few years, because um, I'm really setting you up for success. And um, success in the kingdom means we, we get to give away what God's freely given us. And um, I, just see like so, I just see like so many people around your life, and you're just speaking to them, talking to them, living life with them. And God said, like, he's called you to lead, and he's given you a voice to speak into other people's life. Lives. And I just feel like it's almost like a transition moment where God's saying, like, I'm calling you to see yourself as someone who doesn't only live for what God's called you to do in your own life, but actually I'm calling you to live in the fullness of who you are for those around you. And I just see like God, like a, you know, a stone in a pond and there's ripples. And I just feel like the ripple effect of your life is going to reach way further with way more impact than you could ever expect. Because the, the, the vision of God over your life, I just feel like it's, it's, a, it's a time of expansiveness where he says, like, my vision over your life is radical, and I've called you to take some radical exploits in faith. So let's, um, let's stretch our hands towards Zingi, and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've called him to be a man of great faith, Lord, that he, his life is lived upon the, the bedrock of your faithfulness. And Lord, we just pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would release great faith, Lord. Great faith, Lord, to do great things for you, Lord. And I just release, Lord, a new perspective over his life, Lord. Heaven's perspective, Lord, that you've called him to great things, Lord. We just sense your presence in this place, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll do a bit of that later if there's time, hopefully. Thank you, Lord. So we're in the story, if you haven't been around, um, we're in the story of Abraham and Sarah, original faith. If you have been around, you might be wondering, how flipping long is this thing going to carry on for? Abraham, can you just have a baby with Sarah? It's been eight chapters and I'm a little bit over it. <laughs> like I know that you have a, it's like Titanic. I know that the flipping boat sinks. Can it just happen? Oh, sorry guys. It's a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> Too soon. She said, I literally wasn't even thinking about the news in the last week. Um, hopefully we'll get, we'll get there. But it's been an amazing journey, and I was just sitting there listening to Brendan preach last week, and I was like, Lord, I just want to thank you that you didn't give me the chapters that you gave Brendan to talk about with all the sexual things and all. It was like, we actually sort of said like 18 and asked all of, because like, that, that passage you got was like a real clangor. So, Lord, I just thank you for looking at the roster and letting me follow Brendan. I don't have to talk about Woo, Lot and his daughters, and wow, it was, the Bible really, really doesn't shy away, eh? My goodness. It's like, if you weren't here, listen to the podcasts. It's amazing, amazing what Brendan got out of that, 
those passages. It was, it was an amazing word. Thank you for what you brought, Brendan. I, I really mean that seriously. And um, we're going to pick up Genesis 20, verse 14, um, to the first verse in 21. You'll also be relieved that I don't have any slides. So it's just going to be, it's just going to be totally fun. And um, whatever happens, um, just the Lord is in control. That was a joke, but anyway. Genesis 20, verse 14. Um, so, a little bit of context. There was the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah that got destroyed. Abraham's nephew, Lot, made it out alive. There was a whole family thing that went down. Um, and Lot's daughters end up having his babies. Um, it was quite wild in those days. Um, Abram and Sarah then move on uh, into a place called Gerar. Abraham again, eight chapters later, tells um, Abimelech, the king, that Sarah is not his wife but his sister, which is kind of awkward. Um, and uh, we pick it up in verse 14 after the whole encounter between Abimelech and uh, the Lord. And, and we'll go back to that if you weren't here, so don't worry. 14, Genesis 20, 14. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle, male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you, live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all those who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Phew, we finally got there. Amazing. So there's this amazing story we pick up on the end of where Abimelech is giving, he's just heaping like gifts and money and people and blessings upon Abraham and Sarah just before we hear God performing his promise. But I want to just pick up a little bit of, of what happens before that because I was just thinking like, like, like how, did, how, did, how did we get here? And we read in verse 1, it said, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. So he got to Gerar and he'd done the same thing and he'd said to the people there, this is, my, this is not my wife, this is my sister. And I was thinking like, Flip, he did that like eight chapters ago in Egypt to Pharaoh, why would he, like God has done amazing things in his life, there have been encounters, there have been promises, there have been encounters with angels, he's been like warring with God in prayer, why would Abraham return to do the very same thing he did at the beginning of the story? There's got to be something here. Have you ever like had that experience in your own life? It's like five years on or ten years on, and you go and do the same thing you did five or ten years back, and you're like, flip God, you just keep bringing me around back to the same thing. What is going on in my life? Maybe it's just me. But this is, 
This is what happened just before they'd come up to this place of Gerar. Genesis 19, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So there's something significant here. Abraham had just gone through like this massive catastrophe where he'd seen a whole city being destroyed because of their wickedness. And then he comes to a place and he repeats a whole series of events that happened early on in his life. And, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, we can move on from periods in our lives, but if we don't move through what we've been through, we're just going to end up repeating the same thing. It said, verse 1 and verse 20, Abraham moved on. Uh, have you ever felt like you've just, like you've moved on? Like, I'm just going to move on from that. Like, if you've ever met someone at a bar and you're like, they tell you a whole story, like, yeah, so then he did this and she did this and I'm offended by that and da da da. But yeah, no, anyway, I've moved on. You're like, dude, you just told me that whole story. I drank two beers. You have definitely not moved on. Like, yeah, but anyway, no, no, I've moved on, eh? No, I've moved on. It's not 94 anymore, but I've moved on. Good people, they're good people. We, we can sometimes think we move on from things, but if we don't deal with the things that we carry in our hearts, we can just end up in a cycle of repeating the same things. And I love what Brendan said last, um, last week. Like, Lot, um, Lot had moved on from Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was like Sodom and Gomorrah had started to stay in his life. And, you know, we can go through things in our lives, but if we don't allow God in his goodness and his kindness to really heal our hearts, we can think we've moved on from something and we just end up taking it with us. You know, the worst thing about immigrating is you take yourself with you. It's like, cool, now I'm done with this country. I'm leaving, I'm going, I'm going to Canada, I'm going to Australia, and I'm taking myself with. And I'm all my issues... And let's see how that turns out when I've got no friends and family. <laughs> Guys, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Maybe I'm not. But that, that word, I looked up that, that phrase, move on, in, in, the, in the Hebrew, it means um, literally to pull up ten pegs. And you see, we can remove ourselves from situations, but if, if those situations don't remove themselves from our hearts, we take them with us. And we see that happens with Abraham because he goes through a trauma in what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah and it leads him to a place where instead of living from faith when he enters a new land, he is dictated by fear, guilt, shame, and trauma. That determines his actions. That, that phrase can also mean to set out from isn't it interesting that where we set out from often determines our trajectory? 
And God wants us to be people who don't harbor things in our hearts so that when he calls us to take ground, we don't end up bringing those same things with us that hinder us from stepping into the fullness of his destiny of our lives. Is it making sense? It means to start on a journey. You know what's fascinating is that it says he, he went out, so Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed, and it said he went out to a place called the Negev. And you know, we hear of that same place in Genesis 13 verse 1. Seven chapters before, it says, Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev. I just thought it's so interesting. Egypt was the place where he first lied about Sarah being his sister. And when he left that place of trauma, he went to the Negev. Now he comes back from another place of trauma to the Negev, and he repeats what he did from that previous place of trauma. So interesting. We can come into situations in our lives where we immediately get triggered by something because we haven't allowed God to deal with the depths of the things in our hearts. So, so Abraham and Sarah brought their fear, their trauma, and their expectation of evil from Sodom and Gomorrah experience into this new place that God had brought them to. What we have made agreement with can determine how we live. You know, I was thinking about it this week. I was like, it's so easy to make agreement with certain things in your life and just be like, you know, I'm never going to trust again. Or, you know, I'm not going to expose myself again because the last time I did, someone took advantage of me. There's so many things. Or, yeah, I got, I, I got really hurt by church before, so cool, I'll go again, but I'm not going to trust my life to people because they're just going to hurt me again. But, you know, God has got so much more for us that if we allow him in his kindness and his goodness to heal those places of hurt and pain and trauma, then we can lead other people into the healing that we ourselves have received. I know it sounds a bit um, trite, but there's always that saying, hurt people hurt people, but free people free people. And if we don't deal with our own hurts, we can impose those same things on other people. So just before we get to the passage it says that I, that I read in Genesis 20:11 it says Abraham replied so this is this is when Abimelech comes to him and he says so what happens is Abimelech has a dream and God says to him don't touch Sarah who you've taken into your house she's not actually Abraham's sister like if you touch her and you have your way with her surely everyone will die and so he rises early the next morning. He told, tells everyone, look, guys, we can't touch her. And then he goes and he confronts Abraham. He says, why did you do this? You almost brought calamity on me and my house. And Abraham replied, I said to myself, I said to myself, surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my life. Sorry, they'll kill me because of my wife. And I just stopped when I read that because it says, he said to himself. 
And how often have we come across circumstances or situations in our lives where we have our own internal dialogue with ourselves and make an agreement or an arrangement in our own heads and our hearts and say, look, I'm not going to trust the voice of God. I'm not going to trust the voice of community around me to speak into the situation, but I'm just going to speak to myself and figure this one out for myself, and then I'm going to protect myself. Or is it just me who does that? In a place of crisis or challenge or confrontation, how often do we internalize our narrative rather than looking up and looking out? I don't know about you guys, but I find it really easy to, when I, when I come into a situation that's a confrontation or a challenge or a crisis, it's so easy to just internalize, to look in. And as we heard brilliantly from Jesse a few months ago, the calling of Abraham was to step outside, look up, look at the stars. These are your descendants. Don't look within and start to internalize and start to figure out, oh, I'm, I've got to figure this out. No, when you come into that situation, look up because God has always got a bigger perspective over your life than you do over your own life. Thank you. And let's not miss this. This is a man who wrestled with God face to face. And in the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham's praying with God, if there's 50 righteous, save them. And he has this whole thing, 45, 40, and he just, he's warring with God in prayer. This is like a man who's been like an encounter with God. He knows what it is to engage with God in a place of like real confrontation. Yet he speaks to himself rather than to the Lord. And I feel like God really is on this because there are areas in our lives where we have pain, fear, shame, where we automatically dialogue with ourselves and come up with a survival mechanism and a self-protection strategy. I do this all the time. It's money. It's relationship. Jenna says something to me and I get upset because it just makes me feel like whatever that I should have dealt with 10 years ago. And then I internalize, okay, if she's gonna treat me like this, then I'm gonna treat her like that. And you have this whole internal monologue. And it's like, get over yourself. Move on. <laughs> I'm moving on. Doesn't it remind you of a more well-known story where someone was isolated in a garden and the enemy came and said, oh, surely God's holding out on you. You see, if the enemy cannot isolate us, he will place us in situations where we isolate ourselves and our decisions and no one else can know about it. It's amazing. He comes in. It's Abraham. It's Sarah. He's got lots of people with him. He's been established. He's had encounters with God. People know the words over his life. And he comes into a place and he's like, I've been here before. I know what it was like to go into Egypt. They were going to kill me. I said it was Sarah's my sister. I'm going to do it again. He internalizes, he has this dialogue with himself, and he isolates himself when he should just be like, no, Lord, help me in my place of unbelief. Guys, I'm coming into a situation, I'm feeling a lot of fear, speak the truth of God into my life. I'm being vulnerable. Community, come in. And you know what he's in? Why? Because the intensity of the pain, fear, shame, or trauma is too much for us to risk trust, trusting others 
in the midst of the circumstances that bring fear or pain so viscerally to the forefront of our lives. It's like, I've been hurt before. Why would I go to Raj and tell him, flip, I've got the situation. There's so much fear around it. Like, I just need to trust you to speak some wisdom into my life. And God has got so much for us. That's why he places us in community so we can have voices of perspective and light into our lives. I hope this is helping us. I'm preaching to myself here, so I will take these notes and I'll have a revival service in my car on the way home. You you see what happens? In these areas of our hearts, we've determined that we can't bring anyone in. You know what, we're so determined we can't even bring God in because to do so is to risk either exposing ourselves or to return to a place where someone else has let us down or hurt us. And God is so kind that when we come to him, he will never expose us, but he will always speak love into a place of fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And you know what he says? He says, surely there is no fear of God in this place. So he has this whole internal dialogue monologue. He says, okay, this is my plan. And he says, surely there's no fear of God in this place. Like, I've, it's sure. I've determined the outcome before I've even evaluated what's going on. Why? Where did that come from? Because he just come from Sodom and Gomorrah. And surely he was carrying disappointment in his heart because he'd wrestled with God and said, even if there are five righteous people, won't you save that whole city? And he, he literally rose early in the morning to see if God would do it and there were no righteous people and he watched the city burn. And so the disappointments of unanswered prayer informed his assessment of the next situation. And then he goes on and he says, surely there's, no, surely there's no fear of God in this place. And then he says, they will kill me. The moment we step into a place of introspection, we move out from a place of the voice of God over our lives, the voice of other people into our lives, and we move into a place of self-protection and self-promotion. And you know what? In the midst of the whole Sodom and Gomorrah story, what had God done? I don't know if you remember, but it says he saved Lot. So why would he not save Abraham in Gerar? If he destroyed a whole city and he saved Lot, and there wasn't even the promise of God over Lot's life, but God saved him, surely Abraham's not going to die. When we settle our hearts on what God has not done, we miss living in what he has done. When you focus on what God has not done or is not doing, you miss what he's done. And Abraham had seen Sodom and Gomorrah burn, and he was so focused on the fact that God hadn't answered his prayer that he wasn't focused on the fact that God had rescued Lot and saved his life. And he wasn't living in the fullness of the testimony of his prayer because his prayer was to save Lot's life where Abraham's faith and perspective could have been shaped and directed by the testimony of God's goodness and protection to Lot, they were skewed by what 
God did not do that Abraham had asked of him. I've seen it played out before. I know how this works. I'm just going to self-protect and self-promote. At least I know that I'll survive. And so we move from a place of thriving to surviving. Abraham literally got into this place and said, all I need to do is survive. When the word of God over his life was, I've blessed you to be a blessing. The word and promise of, of God over Abraham's life was that he would be a great nation. Rather than setting the trajectory of his decisions or settling the posture of his heart and his internal fears and pains according to the promise of God and destiny over his life, he moves to a posture of internalizing and self-promotion. And the word of God for us this morning is settle the posture of your heart and the trajectory of your decisions on who I am, what I've spoken over your life, and who you are. Amen. Do you see how counterintuitive it is? God says to Abraham, I will make you. And Abraham says, I will make my own plan. It's like God says, I'll do it. This is what I'm going to do for you. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take things into my own hands. Anyone ever been there? God says, I'll make you a great nation. And Abraham says, at least I won't die. It's like ridiculous. God says, I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people on the earth will be blessed for you. And he says, surely there's no fear of God in this place. He's already said, anyone who curses you, I will curse. So surely, if that's what God says, and these people come against you and they curse you, I will curse you. I will curse them. I've spoken my word of blessing over you. You know this amazing verse in verse 13? Abraham and Sarah, now Abraham's had his own internal dialogue. And then he comes to Sarah and he says, okay, you're going to tell them you're your sister. And then this is how you can show or prove your love, kindness, and loyalty to me. Verse 13. So like you make your own internal, this is how I'm going to protect myself. And then cool, I'm going to manipulate the person closest to me. This is how you can show your loyalty to me. You see, we set up transactions and arrangements with those in our lives to reinforce our internal dialogues rather than basing our relationships on the source of the word of God and his trust over our lives and his truth over our lives. And God says there's so much more for you. How exhausting is it to try and manipulate and set things up to your own advantage and try and play things out in your own effort when God says... I will make you a great nation. You see what happens? We make it all about ourselves. It's so crazy. Every single word over Abraham is like, this is way bigger than you. This is going to bless the world. And he just ends up being like, it's all about me. We draw our perspective from our current circumstances, informed by pain, fear, the shame of our past, the past interactions with people, 
rather than drawing from the truth of our identity. What happens? We forget who God is. He is our source. Oswald Chambers says, the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. So what did Abraham do? He forgot that God was the source of the promise and the destiny and the identity over his life. How often do we do that? Every hour. (laughs) This doesn't depend on you. Instead of living with the truth that God would perform his promise, Abraham became protective. He didn't even become protective of the promise. He started to become so protective, he became protective of himself. He's like, surely I'm not going to die. Like, stuff what happens to Sarah, she's the one who's got to give birth to the promise. You just start looking out for your own interests and your own needs. When the, the word of God over you is like, you are blessed to be a blessing to other people. When you forget who God is and who he's promised to be to you, you don't only forget who you are, but you forget to, what you're called to live for and you only live for yourself. It's like, just get a glimpse of who God is and you'll understand who you are and you'll understand who, what you're supposed to live for. Lose sight of who God is and you start living for yourself. So he forgot who God was, and he forgot who he was. So if he, he forgot his source, he forgot his identity. What did God say? I will make you a father of many nations. In fact, he was so specific about that, he changed his name. He's like, you are the father of many nations. That's who you are. And how did he start living? He said, I am Sarah's brother. He's like, cool, I'm not going to take the identity of God over my life. I'm just going to adopt the identity that gives me the most security. Isn't it profound? We determine how other people must relate to us out of fear, pain, or disappointment, and we bring other people into a place where they relate to us as, ooh, I'm only, a younger, I'm only the younger brother, or I'm that guy who always breaks things, or you know, I'm known for that one time I really stuffed up in my life and I'm just destined to always repeat it. And we allow others to define us by the things that we speak over our own lives where God has given us an identity that we must walk in. If Abraham had walked into that place and said, I am the father of many nations, even if there is evil in this place, God will protect me because I've got something greater over my own life. But no, he said, I'm just Sarah's brother. Because I know if I live at this level, then I won't have to have any disappointments because my expectation is so low that they can't drop me because I just lower my own expectations. So come, anyone can drop me. I'll never be disappointed because I've got no expectation of my own life. And God says, no, 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 no. Have expectation and people will fail you. But I'm the God who fulfills the promise. So I'm here to tell you, you are called to be a people of faith. The mission statement of this church is stepping into the story of God and the ways of Jesus for the sake of Cape Town. We don't step into this room for the sake of me. We step into this room to encounter God for the sake of the city. And God is saying, I've called you to be a people who would see who I am and see who you are and start living who you are. 
Because when you remember who you are and you remember whose you are, you start to remember what you're called to do. There's another story if you've read your Bible, you'll probably think of. Oh, isn't this just the carpenter's son? Oh, isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? And they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not with honor except in his own town. And so he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith, Matthew 13. Why did he not do many miracles, which means he must have done some miracles? It's because, yes, they had a lack of faith, but their lack of faith was based upon the fact that they couldn't relate to him out of the identity that he was the son of God because they knew him as Joseph and Mary's son. And so they're like, we can't receive from him. We know who he is. But they failed to recognize who he truly was, so they failed to see the kingdom come in its fullness. At the roots of Jesus, not being able to do many miracles was the fact they could not recognize who he truly was, and they were unable to relate to him in his true identity. Today, he wants to break off and utterly rip off and destroy fake, false identities over our lives that people have spoken, that we've internalized, that the enemies convince us to live in, because there's a destiny of God over our lives that is bigger than our own lives because he's called us to be people who live in a kingdom that is always expanding. Isaiah chapter 9, of the, kingdom, of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end, which means the kingdom of God is always expanding, so it's always calling you into a more expansive place so that more people can come and drink and eat of your life and know the fullness and the life of God. Somebody give me an amen. Jeez. We are not merely sinners saved by grace. We are saints who are called to bring his kingdom to earth and release heaven. And release heaven solutions everywhere we encounter problems. You know, Abraham's father, it says his name was Terah. There's an amazing little passage. I just want to read it. It says, Genesis 11, you can go read it. It says, while his father, Terah, was still alive, Abraham's brother Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. And then it talks about Abraham getting married and Then Terah, which is Abraham's dad, took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, Sarai, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So they've got a destiny. The father's taking the family to Canaan, and then it says something quite profound. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Why is it so profound? Because... The son, who's died, the son who died, his name was Haran. And the father couldn't move on from the place of disappointment and sadness and pain and trauma. And he'd settled in that place rather than going to Canaan. And so Abraham had this generational identity inherited from his father. He must have seen it. He got to that place. He's like, I just can't move on. I cannot move on from the death of my son. And God's saying there's certain pain, there's certain things that we've carried and he's calling us to move on from them because we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And you know, 
The third thing Abraham forgot was he forgot what he was called to. Genesis 17 verse 6, God said to him, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. So instead of living as one who was called to be a blessing to the nations, he was focused solely on himself. He was literally robbing everyone around him from the blessing on his life by forgetting who he was. When we forget who we are, we don't only rob ourselves, but we rob the people around us. You know how much this is emphasized in the story? It says, verse 17, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For God had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. God had kept Abimelech's household from giving children because of the fact that they'd lied, and there was a curse on them because Abram had given Sarah to Abimelech. The very word of God of Abraham and Sarah was, you are going to be a great nation. You are going to be abundant. I'm going to make nations and kings from you. There's a blessing of abundance. There's a blessing of fruitfulness. And the place that they come to becomes barren because they didn't step in. They weren't living according to who God said they were. They were literally robbing people around them from the ability to have children because they weren't living in the destiny of God over their lives. We can live in a place where we literally rob other people around us from stepping into the very thing that we called to step into. Your victory in the kingdom becomes a starting point for other people. Sorry, I know it's going long. Can I have a few more seconds? When you enter into a place of victory in the kingdom, that becomes a place where the Bible says, freely you've received, freely you can give. We've received all things freely from God. Sometimes we walk through things where God says, I'm going to do this in your life. You are going to fight a battle to win a victory in your life. And once you've won that victory, you can give that away to other people for free. That's how the kingdom works. That's why the kingdom's always expanding. Because my victory becomes your starting point. That's why there's no competition in the kingdom of God. Because your success is my success. Where in our world, your success equals my failure. And that's why Isaiah 61 verse 7 says, and I know I've shared this before, so forgive me for repeating myself. But instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Because when you live in shame, you live internal. I can't trust other people. They don't get me. So you internalize yourself. You rob. Why is it a double portion? Because when the shame is broken... You step into the destiny of God over your life, and other people get to benefit from it. So it's a double portion. So you rob people when you live from that place. And you know the amazing thing that happened, though, and I'll try and end with this. Lord, help me. I'm the son of a preacher. I'll go over time. 
verse 17, it says, Abraham prayed to God. So what happened is Abimelech gives them cattle and I'll just, I want to touch on one verse before that. It says in 16. So what happens is God says to him, you, you can't keep Sarah, otherwise there's going to be a curse. And he actually says to God, like I took her in the innocence, like there was no, there was no evil in my heart when, when she came into into my household. And God says, I know, I saw the innocence of your own motivation. And so in purity and in innocence, he then says, look, I release Sarah back to you. And on top of that, I'm giving you sheep and cattle and household. And in verse 16, he says, to Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver, which is more money than anyone would earn in a lifetime. And this is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. So an evil, an evil king acted in purity of heart and intention, and he actually releases a covering of innocence over her. And he says, this is to cover the offense against you. You're completely vindicated. And it's like in that moment when he gives the thousand pieces of silver, he says, I restore your innocence. And I don't know about you, but there's another story we read in the Bible involving pieces of silver where someone who was innocent was proclaimed guilty and was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And he gave his innocent life so that we who are guilty can be called innocent because we receive from Jesus the innocence that we don't deserve. This is a picture of someone who's evil, supposedly, saying, I restore your innocence over you. As a prophetic picture of Jesus who comes and says, I restore your innocence over you. Your starting point is not your history. Your starting point is the innocence of Jesus. And so your starting point is not, I have to always bring up all that old stuff because I remember who I am based on that. No, your innocence is restored. Your starting point is the righteousness of Jesus. So the enemy can come and try and say, this is who you are, this is who you aren't, this is what you should have done, this is what you could have done. But the Bible says, place on you the full armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, because the enemy will always come and attack you with a lie first, the belt of truth, and he'll attack your heart, righteousness, and try and say that you are unrighteous. And so when he does that, you say, no, 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 this is the truth, and the righteousness of Christ covers me, and my starting point is the innocence of Jesus. And I'm not making this a theology, but isn't it interesting that Sarah, her innocence, her purity, that word can even mean her virginity, is restored because of an interaction with an evil king. And in two verses later, it said God performed his promise to her. That from a place of innocence, she could step into the fullness of the promise of God. And then verse 17, it says God prayed to, Abraham prayed to God and he healed Amimelech. So that they, him, his wife, his female slaves could have children again. I just want to touch on two things. One is that Abraham prayed to God. Why is that significant? Because a couple of chapters before, Abraham had wrestled in prayer with God over the fate and the destiny of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
and he walked to a place of disappointment where the very things he'd asked God for had not happened. So for Abraham to now come into a place where he could trust God and come and pray a blessing over someone else means that something must have happened in his heart and he recognized, I can come to God again and I can pray again and even if he didn't answer me the first time, he's surely gonna answer me this time. So I wanna say to you that in every place where you've trusted God, you've prayed, you've walked with him, God says, don't give up because my nature and my character can be trusted. And isn't it interesting that when Abraham dared to pray a blessing over a foreign nation, that was just the interaction that preceded God releasing the promise that they'd been trusting for for 25 years. Why? Because in the kingdom, you only get to keep that which you're willing to give away. And I'll end with this. How profound must it have been for Abraham to have prayed for Abimelech's wives and slaves who were barren and see them have children when the very thing that they've been trusting God for for 25 years was to have a child. To see someone else step into the very thing which God has promised you and open-handedly say, God, I will not keep that which you've destined for my own life, even if someone else steps in to the very thing which I'm trusting you for, I will celebrate it, and I'll be the person that is willing to see that happen. Isn't that amazing that Abraham and Sarah got to a point where they were willing to pray for some other people to have children, and they must have stayed there long enough to see them have children? Because in the kingdom of God, we only get to keep what we're willing to get, give away. And then it says in the next verse, the Lord was gracious as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Or the Lord took note of Sarah, or the Lord visited Sarah. There's a place of the visitation of God where he comes through in his promise, where we say, Lord, I give all these issues of trust in my heart to you. And even if you're not going to do it for me, I'm willing to pray that you would do it for someone else. And in that place, it says the Lord visited Sarah and he did for her what he had promised. The faithfulness of God over our life. He is so kind. Why don't we just stand? I feel like God wants to unlock something for us today. Sorry, I've gone a bit over time. If you need to, I know it's 10 past 11. If you need to go, if you need to get children, please, um, you're absolutely free to do so. But you know, there's an amazing verse in Hebrews 11, 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even though she was past the age, because she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah herself received strength, some versions say, to conceive, 
even though she was past the time. That word in the Greek is, or the, is kairos. Even though she was past the window of opportunity to see God come through for her, she received. It is 11.11. She received power or strength to conceive because she considered him faithful who had promised. So right where you are, just lift your hands, close your eyes. We're just going to take a moment. For every promise, Lord, that you've given us, we just open our hands and we say, Lord, we don't hold on to these things or our ability to perform them. But we say, Lord, you visited Sarah and you did what you'd promised. And Lord, we long for a visitation from you where you would breathe the life of the spirit of our lives, Lord, that even if it feels like we've missed the opportune moments in our life to step into the very things that you called us, you are faithful. You who are promised is faithful. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you release the power to conceive those seeds of promise that we've been carrying in our life, where the enemy has tried to either convince us that we're barren, because we don't see any growth or he tries to convince us not to water the seeds or he tries to convince us uh, that it'll never grow we speak the life of God we speak the life of God over the calling of God over each and every person's life in this place that many of us who feel like Abraham and Sarah just wandering around, going through the motions, we say, Lord, won't you remember us and visit us afresh? And for some of us, I just feel like he's restoring innocence. We've, it's like we, we're like Abraham and Sarah. We've lost a little bit of innocence because we've been through some trauma or we've been around some evil or we've seen some disappointment. And today he says, just as I restored your innocence on the very day that you met me, I restore innocence. And you know why he restores it? Because it means that we don't carry cynicism in our hearts. But when you're innocent, you're like, anything can happen. It's like, oh, don't be so innocent. No, maybe it's time for us to be a little bit more innocent and say, what if God could do that? What if God could come again? What if God could do what he said he would do? So if that's you, just place your hand on your heart. We just pray, Lord, we want to be innocent as doves, Lord. Andy had this amazing scripture during our prayer time and I want to declare this over us Ezekiel 12 28 this is what the sovereign Lord says none of my words will be delayed any longer whatever I say will be fulfilled declares the sovereign Lord
So Lord, we speak to every area of delay, every area of discouragement, every area of disappointment, every area of fatigue. And instead of looking in, we look up to you. We say, Holy Spirit, you are life. You are, Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And I feel like he is resurrecting some promises. He is resurrecting calling and destiny. The very things that we've said are dead, he's calling alive. So we're going to end by Steph and the band going to lead us in a song. But I want to create a place. If you feel like, Lord, Lord, I just need to come to a place of saying, I need healing. Healing of a loss of innocence. Healing of, Lord, can I trust you with that promise? If that's you, just come forward. Just come. There's a few of us who want to pray. You want to receive prayer this is a moment i feel like there's many of us there's there's a place of healing where we said lord i've i've trusted my own abilities i've looked in i've forgotten who i am but god says no i'm reminding you of who you are this morning